Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. My name is Hyke Bally, and I am a writer and a podcaster. Mark Dreyer is on the other end of the line. He is the China Sports Insider, and this is the China Sports Insider podcast, and we have a tremendous, tremendous show for you this week. Tencent Sports, is it a casualty of China's tech downturn? One CSL team says it will not be in the league next year, and the Forbes Rich List is out, and guess who's not on it? And then we talk Ultimate Disc in China with Anthony Tao and Zoe Tang. The sport has become really popular because, well, influencers found it. Uh, And we're going to talk to uh, Zoe and Anthony a little bit later on the show. But first, Mark, it was a huge podcast week for you. You were on Patrick McEnroe's podcast this week. How did that go? It was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Yeah. So Patrick McEnroe, uh, for those who don't know, uh, former U.S. Davis Cup captain, tennis player in his own right, but uh, not not didn't uh, reach the same heights uh, as his brother John. But he's an ESPN commentator, has a, a, a podcast about tennis called Holding Court. And he just reached out to me on Twitter, actually, uh, and uh, we talked about uh, tennis and Peng Shui and China and, and everything in between. Had a really, really had an engaging conversation, and, and he knew a lot of a lot of the topics. Uh, so asked some some really interesting que- uh, interesting questions, and uh, and it was great to great to be on the show. Yeah. So so besides that, you you went to an actual live soccer match. I did. I did. Hi. It was uh, it was a little bit different. It was in a fifty five thousand capacity stadium. Um, it's the biggest, uh, I'm in Taiwan right now. I'm actually in Kaohsiung in the South. Uh, this was a stadium that was built for the 2009 world games, which is a big multi-sport competition, sort of a lower level, sort of like the sub Olympics, if you will, but it's an awesome stadium. This was actually, it was a women's soccer game. Um, check out the name of this league, the Taiwan Mulan Football League. Mulan, obviously, the, uh, the, the, the female heroine. So that's the name of the uh, TMFL is the name of that league. And there are six teams. And uh, actually, my, my uh, kids' soccer coach uh, plays on the team. They actually have two, two of their teachers. Uh, one of them has played for the, uh, for the Taiwanese national team in the past. So they're pretty good. I was very impressed by the standard. Um, Weren't a lot of fans. Uh, we were probably maybe into triple figures, maybe. Uh, so it was, uh, it was pretty empty in a, in a 55,000 capacity stadium. But it was, uh, yeah, it was, hey, it was good wow. to uh, 
you know, they, they, had, they had like uh, the cameras, they had at least four broadcast cameras that I could see uh, streaming the game and uh, all the match officials and, and the flags and everything and, and some fans, <laughs> if not too many. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it was fun to go to. Yeah, just a reminder that even outside of China, COVID is still a thing and people aren't really going out. 85,000 daily cases in Taiwan right now and we've still got these games going on. So closer to home, Tencent Sport is laying off 100 people. That's about a third of its staff. It's a tech story, but it's also a sports story. So what is the sports angle? Well, there's just no content for them to 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 be producing. Um, you know, if you're taking content from overseas and, and replaying it, then you don't need a whole lot of people to do that. But if you're producing new stuff, there's no sport going on in China to do that. So unfortunately, I mean, this is, this is a desperately depressing story, but, you know, you had to say it was coming uh, because... How long, have they, how long are they able to, to keep people on? Uh, what, what I will say is that, um, as I understand it, the NBA, which is probably their, well, e- easily their, their premium product right now, that actually runs through their video division. So uh, this has been unaffected by the, the layoffs in the, in the sports. It's just kind of internal reorganization. But uh, yeah, in terms of new content creation and, and so on, there's obviously not a lot going on. Um, and they will still be, you know, uh, broadcasting some some of those other, uh, you know, overseas uh, overseas leagues and, and and games. And the Premier League and the other European leagues just 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 ended this week, right? Um, and I was just sort of thinking, uh, if the Sixers, if the Philadelphia Sixers had made it to the, <laughs> to the semifinals or the finals of the NBA, they wouldn't even be able to uh, to air those get those matches. So that would have been like a double whammy there. Just anecdotally on 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 the last weekend of sport, yeah, with the Premier League and and Serie A, um, AC Milan winning. Uh, they've got a lot of fans in China. Uh, the Serie A was on CCTV back in the '80s, so a whole generation of people kind of grew up with that and and have still have some loyalties to the teams. I saw a lot of people actually post about, you know, staying up to watch these games and, you know, a few kind of wry comments about basically like, look at all these fans and packed stadiums and, you know, crowds celebrating on the field afterwards and, and you know, wouldn't it be great if dot, dot, dot. Uh, but uh, obviously the reality here is, is, uh, is very different. It's pretty different. Uh, I don't know if you saw the Pony Ma post on, on WeChat. Pony Ma is one of the founders of Tencent, big mil- billionaire. Uh, and according to Bloomberg, he reposted an article about uh, COVID zero, uh, which called out economists, academics, and even average internet users for dismissing the economic impact of Beijing's harsh COVID measures. So a lot of people are feeling it. Um, you know, I don't even know what I would call this. People are, are not happy about it and they're not shy about, about, about saying so and people are suffering. I think it's significant coming from Pony Ma. He's one of the most understated low-key uh, uh, billionaires in China. Um, he's a massively, you know, famous name. Tencent is is obviously one of the top companies, but compared to to Jack Ma, for example, he's at the other end of the scale in terms of uh, public persona. You don't see him talk. So for him to post something like this, um, it 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 is, I think, significant. I mean, the economy, according to according to to, to some aspects, it's it's basically in meltdown because. There's only one priority right now, and that's COVID zero. So it doesn't really matter how bad the economy is. Nothing is changing. Uh, we're not seeing a whole lot of signs of, of that changing anytime soon either. So, you know, be, some people can take a more positive spin, others take a more negative spin. But I, I feel like the real pain is, is, is yet to hit. And that's, um, that's, that's going to be tough. 
It is hard to overstate how bleak it is right now. Uh, so we know that at least one CSL team is making it to, into the bubble. There's, so there's going to be maybe a CSL league of some sort after all. Uh, Marwan Fellaini, who's a star of Shandong Taishan, he posted a photo of his team heading somewhere on a bus. Um, and it looks like they're going to start playing sometime soon. But one team that isn't going to be there is Chongqing Liangjiang Athletic. They're in debt. They can't play their players. Uh, and, you know, players just said they haven't been paid. And, and some have been taking jobs as as delivery drivers to make ends meet. And this is a team that almost signed Iniesta just four years ago. This is crazy. Yeah, it is insane. Uh, you know, it, people actually... It, you, <sighs> Like you said, it's hard to it's hard to it's hard to overstate this. Like a, a effectively a Premier League team here, a Chinese Super League team, going bankrupt just days before the start of the season, and and this is not unexpected. But it's wild to think of this happening. I mean, we had just just recently, you know, a, a year or two ago, the the champions Jiangsu Suning going bankrupt, out of business, fully out of business, four months after winning the title. It's absolutely insane. Um, these are teams with, you know, not, not a hundred years of history, but significant history. Chongqing has sort of bounced around financial problems and, and they've had some issues over the years, but going bankrupt is, is, you know, I just look at, look at overseas. Sometimes they, they default and they kind of might get, uh, demoted and so on. But, but to have it happen so late on, it's, it's desperately depressing. I think there's no other word for it. Um, what I will say is that, you know, the rest of the teams, there will be a CSL this this year. I have uh, no doubt about that. But I am hearing from behind the scenes a lot of players, particularly the foreign players who have come back to China, are very unhappy about it because, you know, you can imagine a lot of them probably aren't getting payments or, or either on time or in full. And they're kind of thinking, well, what leverage do I have once I go into the bubble? I basically can't leave. And what happens if they don't pay me when I'm in there? What's going to happen then? Now, there have been some cases where, um, you know, Shanghai Shenhua, for example, right now has a transfer ban because they were taken to court. Uh, sort of, the, There's an international football body that, that sort of deals with this. And, and actually, they've stepped up in a few years and managed to sort of put some leverage on, on through the CFA on some of the, the Chinese teams. So there are some, there are, you know, some, some recourse that the players have. But, you know, you can imagine a lot of these players sort of leave without, getting paid. We've heard story after story of that in the past. Um, and it's, uh, again, it's frustrating. Uh, and the the only real solution that you see happening is is that all the foreign players uh, uh, leave and and, uh, and try and play the game somewhere else. And then, you know, we've got Chinese players taking jobs as delivery drivers. I mean, that's just, that's just nuts. So one thing you're, you're learning here is that just because you have a contract doesn't mean you're going to get paid. I mean, there is that sort of truism about China that, you know, signing a contract is the first step in a, in a negotiation. Um, it, it's obviously meant as a little bit of a joke, but I think there is some, there is some truth to that. And, and anyone who's, who's, you know, worked a number of jobs over a number of years, particularly sort of jobs on the fringes, you know, that not, not the, the more um, formal employment contracts, but... I mean, I've lost count of the number of, of people in sports or elsewhere who sort of you know haven't been paid in full for for this or that. Uh, it's it's one of the uh, the challenges I say I would say to to, to go with the opportunities. Okay, Mark, let's move on to something a little bit less bleak. Money. 
Forbes magazine just released its list of the world's richest athletes. Who is not on it? Well, if you look at the top of the list, you know, it's the usual suspects. You've got Messi, LeBron James, Cristiano Ronaldo, Neymar, um, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Roger Federer, and so on. You know, there's there's uh, uh, Alvarez in boxing. He's number eight. Tom Brady, nine. Um, you know, these are people who are their total earnings, you know, Messi, number one, 130 million U.S. dollars. And it's a, a composite of off-field earnings and on-the-field earnings. So basically what you get for, for playing your sport and your endorsements as well. Now, if we go down to the bottom of the list, number 50 in the Forbes Rich List, um, TJ Watts from uh, NFL has a total of $37.6 million. Now, I don't know if you remember, but uh, before the Olympics, the estimates coming out for Eileen Gu's earnings from mostly sponsorship, almost entirely sponsorship, she's not earning a whole lot from winning uh, freestyle skiing competitions were 35 million US dollars. Now, this uh, Forbes list is correct. It says to May 2022. So they, uh, they've basically updated it. And uh, Eileen Gu's earnings were estimated before the Olympics even started. She, caught, she won, of course, two gold medals and a silver. She's basically spent the last three months in China just doing uh, filming for commercials and signing new sponsorship deals. Again, the, the accurate figures are very, very hard to get. Uh, and I imagine the, the Forbes team based in the U.S. probably weren't able to kind of dig into a lot of the, uh, the Chinese contracts, um, many of which, are, of course, aren't public. And two-thirds, probably at least two-thirds of her uh, earnings are from Chinese brands, not from uh, uh, for, rather than international brands. But, you know, if we kind of go with that 35 million figure that was floated beforehand, which people seemed to accept, she's clearly way past 37.6 million today, May 2022. So by my reckoning, she should be somewhere on the list. Do you think there are other Chinese athletes who could be on the list if it was a bit easier to get those numbers? Like Su Bing Tian, for example. I mean, he's he's everywhere. He is, but he just doesn't have the same number of brands. I mean, Eileen Gu is ubiquitous in terms of the fashion labels. And they, they you know, she can charge a lot of money. Uh, the profile that she has right now, no one else really compares. Uh, there would be other athletes in other sports that could be earning a lot more money, uh, but no one really is is kind of global in the same way as in the way that, you know, Lena is someone who has been around the fringes of, of this list in the past, but obviously she's been long retired. It was interesting to see that when they when they split it down by gender, they picked out the women's uh, women's tennis because, uh, you know, Osaka, Serena Williams, uh, again, going back, Sharapova, Lina, those are people who've had huge uh, endorsement uh, earnings. And so they said, we don't know who the next person is going to be, but we're very confident it's going to come from women's tennis, uh, the next female athlete. And I'm like, uh, again, Eileen Gu, <laughs> I think uh, she's, uh, she's next up on that list uh, from what I can tell. Uh, but uh, that seems to have sort of uh, flown under the Forbes uh, radar to some extent. We're going to do something a little bit different here. This week, Sep China published a piece called Ultimate Frisbee is Soaring in China as a Fashion Fad, which I wrote. Uh, it's about how Ultimate Disc has been chugging along in China, uh, but remained a niche sport, even while it's been making some inroads as a professional sport in North America. But all of a sudden... The game caught on in a huge way, and a lot of that has to do with these influencers uh, who post these very 
suggestive photos, and we're going to talk about that later on, uh, of themselves with frisbees on, on Little Red Book, Xiaohangshu, which is a, a social media app. We have two people joining us who are going to talk about it. Both of them are in Beijing. Anthony Tao is the managing editor of SubChina News. He also used to captain Big Brother, uh, one of China's best ultimate teams. And Zoe Tang is a co-captain of Big Brother. Welcome to you both. Hi. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Anthony, I want to start with you. Uh, and this is amazing because you don't normally get to interview your, your editors. Uh, so this is kind of a first for me. So let's see how this goes. Um, you've been around Ultimate a really long time in China, but you were a little bit wary about doing a piece about Ultimate. And it took a little bit of con convincing. What, why were you suspicious about doing a piece about Ultimate? Because for as long as I can remember, uh, as long as my journalism career goes, I've been trying to get ultimate coverage. I remember, um, I remember being an intern at Sports Illustrated way, way back and trying to pitch ultimate to, uh, to the editors there. And this was, gosh, this was uh, 2000, I want to say five. And I, I, I remember uh, after basically writing a feature about it, I think they pitied, took some pity on me and ended up letting me do like 50 words about the speech tournament in Chicago. Uh, the thing is, I, I am always suspicious when people come to me with this thing that they love, uh, much as I did back in the day, and say, this is newsworthy. I wasn't quite sure. Uh, you know, just playing Ultimate in China since uh, 2008, um, I've sort of seen the sports growth, but I've been very skeptical about uh, about when I hear numbers uh, about how it's soaring in popularity, et cetera, et cetera, because I haven't seen it. Um, then again, I need to say I sort of semi-retired last year, so I haven't really been on the scene at pickup like Zoe has, et cetera. Uh, like you, Haig, uh, being in the pickup scene recently, the, the ultimate pickup scene, and seeing all these new players, so I wasn't quite sure... Uh, about the the fad that that Xiao Hongshu has sort of kicked off, but um, uh, I'm I'm happy that we were able to develop the story that you told me more about it and ended up convincing me to commission this. Anthony, um, I just want to pick up on a couple of things you said that um, I love the fact that you said that you um semi retired uh, from your basically semi-professional status as an yeah. ultimate athlete. So I so just, just wanted to give a shout out to that. Uh, secondly, what I'm hearing is, is this kind of like, correct me if I'm wrong, but what I'm hearing is it's kind of like, you know, you discover an indie band and you love these guys and this is kind of your thing. But as soon as it gets too big, you're like, oh, I don't like it anymore. I only liked it when it was small. That's kind of what, 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 I, what, what came to my mind when I heard you say this, you know, well, I've been here since the beginning um, and you know, I'm sort of skeptical and be like, why not embrace extra coverage, like growth of the sport? Like, is, is that an unfair take? Well, I just, I actually, I just wasn't sure. Um, I wasn't sure that the sport was in fact exploding in the way that it is. Uh, I, I guess I could say, I just didn't know about it. Uh, and Haig was one that sort of alerted me to this, to this trend, um, that happened, that really began very recently. Um, we're talking about in the span of the last, what would you say, hey, last half year, it went from this niche activity uh, into something that has been getting mainstream attention in Chinese media. When, whenever, whenever something, an activity or a news piece, uh, a trend, anything trends on Chinese media, then we're talking about something that deserves coverage in English media. Yeah, I just want to ask Tao, do you, uh, do you know lately 
the NBA Tencent channel has covered Wang Bing the the ultimate a little bit when they are doing a I don't know what it called break, so or advertisement. So basically, ultimate is in NBA China, and that was very recently as well, right? Yeah. So to so to be clear, this is not replacing the uh, the games that they. Uh, weren't able to show. This is ads during the breaks of the games. That's like huge coverage for the sport here. Yeah. I mean, it's basically as, you know, certainly for online streaming, there's nothing that's going to be getting bigger numbers than than, than NBA games on Tencent, right? Basically. And it's also a big game. It's Right now they are doing what? West uh, final or semifinal? Yeah, the conference finals. Zoe, that's a, great, a good question though, though for you. So when did you start noticing all of these new players and all of this new sort of media uh, surrounding Ultimate in, in, in Beijing? I think it start maybe last winter where it's kind of have a lockdown policy, but somehow like somebody start saying, hey, look at this Xiaohongshu and everybody posts about Frisbee. Then we go on to look at the Xiaohongshu, we were like, Wait a minute, this is not the frisbee we play. They dressed so pretty and we were like, I, I don't know, we are like countryside person and when we play frisbee. So, um, yeah, so I, I went on to take a look and I know nobody in Xiaohongshu. We have to talk about these photos because one of the hardest parts of writing that piece actually was trying to describe these photos. Um, and it's and it's hard because I don't want to like I'm not the fashion police. I don't want to like you know to say oh this is good, this is bad or whatever. But can you try to just okay? Let, let's some of these photos? let's like, do an what, experiment. What do they look like? I haven't seen the photos, so you guys will try to explain, and then I'll I'll <laughs> I'll see once I see how good a job you did. <laughs> okay, we can, but I can just say like the best way to see it is that to actually see it and check out subchina.com and check out the uh, the article. Anthony, how would you describe these these photos? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there are there's a lot of skin. There are a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot very of tight tights. <laughs> um, un uh, clothes that don't. Feel like they belong on a field of for sports. I there was a there was a quote in the article that uh, we ended up cutting uh, from from uh, a frisbee player in Shanghai, a competitive player, and uh, he says uh, I think he describes it pretty well, uh, where he says in the span of one year, frisbee highlight videos turned from displays of athletic performance to hot chicks in yoga pants. There, there are a lot of um, let me let, let's let's call it uh, postures, poses that make a frisbee player like yeah. me grimace because I see it <laughs> and it's and I just know there's no way that disc is flying where they want it to. <laughs> Zoe, do you agree? I mean, what what's your perspective on this? Um, as a woman, you like if I saw those photos, they have a lot of makeup where. Like we will probably never do because it's uncomfortable. You'll probably mess up with uh, your makeup in ten minutes. But a lot of girls they wear makeup and in the photo it keep that way all like all the sections. So that's amazing. So are these are these people like are they just posing, getting the shot, posting it, and then they're out of there? Like are they actually doing any of the exercise? Like. I, it seems to me a sort of a cross-section between this sort of social fitness trend that we've seen over the last few years with 
people going for runs and then they post the map of, you know, I've done five or six kilometers and, and here's my time and all that sort of stuff. But they've actually done the run, you know, whatever speed, but they've actually done it. Like, are these people actually playing or maybe they don't even intersect with, with your games? I think that mostly they go this way. So somebody organize it. They come, they do all the stuff, but there is like photograph section in maybe last 15 minutes or last 20 minutes that you can do the post. So they're actually playing. But but what about the makeup? They have to redo the makeup? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they just run very slowly at the start. Yeah. Keep it keep it fresh. There's different games going on at the same time, right? So I, I've been to uh, Dongfang Park, which is actually just next door to my house on, you know, random Thursdays where this is this is the day where they usually have these pickup games, right? Uh, and mostly they're beginners. And there's something like five fields of, of ultimate going on at, at a time. And the first time I was there, there were hundreds and hundreds of people there. Now, I played with a, a, a team called Petfly 2.0 uh, by, by this really lovely guy called Alex. Uh, and he pointed to the field next to me and he said, look, you know, do you see the, those players over there? They are brand new to the sport. They have never held a disc in their lives and there's the photographer next to them taking photos of them. And it's all for uh, Xiao Hangshu. So, you know, I think I think you get a mix. I think you get some people who are purely in it just to, you know, just because it's a fashionable sport and they want to take part in something fashionable. Uh, and there are some people who think, oh, well, this is kind of fun. And they they, they they stick around possibly for another, you know, few few sessions. And, you know, maybe the hope is, I guess, some people stick around and, and really become ultimate players like like us, you know. Are most of the people posting photos, are they already established as influencers, as KOLs, or are they trying to kind of break through through this new trend or a bit of both? I wish I could answer you, but I don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, so you, you actually told me something. That I, I didn't actually use it in the piece, but, uh, you know, when I interviewed you for the piece, you told me that Xiao Hongshu had actually gotten in touch with you uh, and your team previously. Uh, what, what do they want to know from you? So I, I don't know. Maybe start with the march list here and they create this group and they add all the i will say team captains or the organizers and they were like here we are here to help you to promote frisbee so what you need to do is in you send us the logo and we will do the we will create a poster for you to post later then also you show me, I think you have to fill out the form. They will help you promote this link to the relative person. Um, basically, that's it. So they have this session and they have this group of people like every two weeks tell you to do the promotion. That's, that's one of the most interesting aspects of this story, I think, is how many brands and, uh, and the app itself, you know, Little Red Books, Hongshu. We've been, we've been mentioning it a lot, but I, I don't know if we actually properly ID'd it. It's kind of like the, um, uh, like, uh, it's, a, it's a lifestyle app. It's kind of like the Instagram of China, right, uh, mm -hmm. with more of a social aspect to it. But um, I, I've, I've just been amazed by how much that app has been actively involved in this that they've identified Frisbee as this thing that they can use to, to promote this fashion, this fad. Um, you take it to the U.S. and you tell people, you tell Ultimate players there that this is happening. And um, I, I think people would be shocked because uh, uh, Frisbee, as, we all, as you guys probably know, Ultimate has very countercultural roots. 
And in the US now, they've gone away from that, but in the in a completely 90 degree direction from where it's going in China, where, where they're trying to make it more legitimate, more like a very competitive sport. So that kind of leads to an obvious question, like of all the things that could have exploded on Xiaohong Shu, like why, why ultimate? Why has this, you know, uh, th there's going to be lots of people trying to trying to find like niche brands, niche sports, niche trends, uh, and sort of, you know, be the next leader. Why do you think this has broken through? Um, for me, I feel like Frisbee itself is really a low skill for a new player. If you never played a sport before, you come here and we teach you how to throw. And this is just very easy to accept. And I don't know if it is the factor. I mean, I I feel like this is one of the, the quality of the Frisbee. Um, you know, Wang Bin, who uh, Zoe, you mentioned earlier, Wang Bin, who's been playing Ultimate um, since, uh, I, I think he started in 2006 um, here in Beijing, and he's been playing competitively ever since. Uh, one, one of the things that he said was that the underlying factor to all of this is that Frisbee is such a graceful and amazing game. Uh, actually, he said Ultimate was. He said Feipan. And sort of in, you know, in China, Feipan can be used interchangeably between Frisbee uh, or Ultimate. Uh, but I'm pretty sure in this context, he meant Ultimate as the sport was so fun to play and therefore people um, are attracted to it. But sort of as Zoe mentioned too, you know, yeah, the... Um, um, the threshold is low for people to get started. You only need a disc, right? And it's it's a non-contact sport, uh, so it's relatively less stressful, I suppose, or a little bit safer. Yeah, by the way, I forgot to mention the social aspect of the frisbee. You play boys and girls in the same field, seven on seven. It could be four girls, three guys, or four guys, or five, even more. So you are at the same field, so you feel really connected. Now, when we talked, you were talking about how, you know, when you play with a lot of the newcomers, it can actually be kind of dangerous <laughs> and you don't feel that safe. Like, what, what, why, why is that? You mean when I play the newcomers? Because they don't know the game and they don't know where to go. And if I play full speed, I will easily get tripped by them or have contact with them because I can, I, I don't know where they are going. That's basically what I want to say. Right. No, the, the, um, I think the social aspect of it is fascinating. Like, like w when I first came to China, I was sort of surprised, I think, about, you know, when talking to 20-somethings talking to, to just about, like, well, how do you date? How do you, how do you find people? Like, in, in the West, you know, maybe, maybe this is more of an English thing, but, you know, people go out and they drink and, and, and one thing leads to another. And, and you know... There's, there's, there's few dating stories that don't involve alcohol. You know, I think that's just, just reality. Whereas here, you know, people are like, oh, well, I just kind of stay home. Friends are friends. And, and, and like, it's partly culture. It's partly financial as well. But this is, this obviously is basically free to play. I suppose you've got to rent the pitch, but you don't have to. You can play in a park. I've always, whenever I've played it at obviously extremely low levels, it's just been on a patch of grass. It hasn't been on a, like any kind of formal area or on the beach or something like that. So apart from the cost of the disc, um, it's it's very easy to do, and and I think you make a great point about the social aspect of it's a great way for boys and girls to to hang out and have fun. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but you know, uh, frisbee couples are are a thing. That's um, uh, Zoe, like you and I, we know plenty of people that met through frisbee and ended up getting married. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder, like how many new frisbee couples are going to come out of this recent uh, fad.
Haig, I feel like we've stumbled onto part two of your series here. I'm telling you, I'm trying to pitch it as a series. Honestly, <laughs> this, could be, this could be this could be a this could be a weekly column, Anthony. Come on, um, <laughs> but Zoe, it's not free though, is it? Like, I mean, there's a lot of these clubs uh, charge money for people to play, um, and and you made the point as well when we were talking that it's become a lot more expensive. Uh, these, these clubs are charging even more to uh, to play, right? Yeah, it used to be like if you go to like, pick up fifty koi for a pickup. Now it's at least a hundred to a hundred fifty, because I don't know. I think a lot of them have coaches now and have photographer, which is important. Um, also, I think you have to pay for the pitch and everything. So yeah, they adding to the cost. Is that higher price something that's offered to people that want photographs? Like, what, what if you want? What if you're going just for uh, for the frisbee itself? Um, do they also have to pay yeah. triple the amount? Yeah. Okay. Well, I I mean I I heard this from one of my contacts in uh, Shenzhen who plays ultimate. Uh, we were talking about the story, and he was saying something similar that that um, the rise of ultimate uh, ultimate's popularity has uh, actually divided, kind of split the competitive scene. Um, some of their players are now being asked to lead these other teams, these more, um, I guess you, you could say more social clubs as opposed to competitive clubs. Um, and also, yeah, the, the increase of, um, in, in the cost, um, this whole, the, the way that supply and demand factors in, that's had, in my opinion, a pretty negative impact on the game. So it's not quite, you know, going back, Mark, to your like analogy about indie bands, um, it's not quite like that unless you're saying like my indie band that i love now charges tickets that are three times what it what it used to be it seems it seems to me that it's kind of coming at it from a very different angle so where i am right now there's a local surf club and it's very low key and i've taken my kids there a couple of times and they have a good time and, and actually they, they have this old dude who's just sort of like an amateur photographer and he takes pictures of people surfing so like you stand up on the board once there's a good chance you're going to get it no cost. It doesn't charge you a thing. They post it on Instagram and, and everyone loves the photos. And, and people like, it's a cool thing to do and they embrace it. But they, they do it because of the surfing. What I'm hearing for, for, from you guys, from some of these people, is they go there starting with the whole photographer. Like, I'm going to bring my makeup person and my, like, they kind of like, you see those people who go out and do the wedding photos. I'm imagining like, kind of like you got the, <laughs> you got the hair and the makeup and the photographer. And it's like, let's get all those people like in a row and then, okay, where's the disc? Oh, I forgot to bring it. You know, <laughs> like get me my photos first. And it starts with this kind of photo business. Now, you know, obviously that's at the extreme end, but it, it does seem a little bit backwards from a, certainly from a sporting perspective. It's a good point that, yeah, I think you've summarized the critique of, of, uh, of this, um, this development. Let me just jump in with one other thing. The, um, another thing that it kind of reminded, um, I, I've done quite a lot of motorsports here, here in China and to, to promote the series, they've, they've had uh, famous drivers or famous amateur drivers. So it's, uh, we've had pop stars here and there, people like Han Han, who's, who's pretty well known. And they've come into, you know, these Audi and Porsche series and so on to basically try to take it to a whole new brand new audience. Um, that's worked to a certain extent. Uh, it sounds kind of like what, what you guys are saying also in terms of recruiting the, the, big, the biggest KOLs and kind of moving them up into the kind of the... Uh, the professional teams where from a, from an athletic perspective, they're not really able to do that, but you know, it doesn't really matter. We all play along and, and, and look, hopefully 
it can grow the sport. I'm, I'm all for for more people being more active in more ways and, and people getting out there, whether it's whether it's just a little bit of this and, and, and something else. But if it helps to promote more people being active, I think that's a good thing. Yeah. I, I think I didn't re- mention this in Xiaohong, in Xiaohong Shu. Basically, they create a hashtag for Frisbee. So it's called which it means happiness is brought by Frisbee. Or you say Frisbee bring all the joys. I think this is a very positive hashtag or angle. So I like that about uh, Xiaohong Shu is doing this promotion. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I, I don't want to come off like some ultimate elitist where I say, you know, unless you're playing in a certain way, then it's not right or whatever. Um, yeah, I think it's t- too late for that. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you cut out, you know, this part where I'm going to say next. But um, <laughs> no, I think, um, I, think, I think the more exposure the sport gets, uh, the hope is that maybe some of these people who come because they saw it on an app uh, will end up loving it and then uh who knows where they might take the sport from here you know there's this guy in shanghai um named uh, uh kuba i actually don't know the the chinese pronunciation of uh, kuba but zoe do you know him yeah dong da is his chinese name but he's been working you know he's a professional photographer but he's been working to promote the sport in his own way for um 10 years give or take and um he has taken the opportunity recently uh with this you know this massive spike in popularity to bring uh brands big brands to the competitive aspect of the game so he's tried to put on show matches uh with players down in shanghai uh so um so yeah i think the sport can develop in multiple directions uh at the same time so i guess the only point that i would make is is as long as these new players are willing to learn and want to learn how to play the game right or play the game in the, in the, in the right way i mean zoe you you're the one that has the most experience with with training a lot of these new players what have those experiences been like is there is there this willingness to learn and i think the first is like those people need to willing to consistently join the practice i think that's the first step and you will see people um, grow out of couple practice some people maybe come for one time then drop up then that's not our target audience um, I think for a uh, like for us as a club team, we are looking at this opportunity to see if we could get anything from this big wave. So like if anybody who really enjoying the sport or who can be re- the next generation athletes, then we want to take them and to train them to join our club for our future. When I was at Dunkling Park, I was, you know, when I was playing with the team, I was trying to do, run some drills as well. And, you know, one of the drills I was running was just this very simple cutting drill. You throw the disc, uh, somebody cuts, and you go around. It just wasn't working. So what have been the specific challenges that you've had in terms of training different new newcomers? Yeah, so my thing is I'm always focused on the women's. So I don't know if you guys know, like, uh, Ultimate has, like, single season which is um, we split the team, doesn't play mix anymore, we play single gender. So um, throughout the single gender, I feel like I have improved a lot from the single gender. So that's why I commit myself to uh, improve this single gender games. Um, but for the, a lot of girls, especially in China, they never played sport before. They probably don't know how to run. They probably don't know how to cutting. You say 
Cutting is easy. Then for them, they will ask you, "What's cutting? And what do you mean cut sharp?" Oh, so I have to teach really, really basic fundamental how to spring, how to、um, how to do the footwork, and how to catch this. You won't hurt yourself. But but at the same time, it's tremendously exciting that all these you know that women are being attracted to sport for the first time in some cases. Yeah, I think that's the big part. I really like this big wave because、uh, other in other sport you won't see so many women、um, participate or join the sports as frisbee does. So like, how big do we think this is going to get? Like, are there corporate opportunities? Are going to see sponsorships? And 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 also, like, what is that? What is the structure? Is there kind of like a like a league within Beijing, within within China? You know, like, how formal is the sport right now? And how more formal do you think it, it's going to become with this with this growth? It's really really difficult to say because no matter. I I think any kind of improvement need a lot of manpower and organization to involve to make it formal. So right now people are making money. That's why they are like open the market for it. But nobody is doing that for being for it to being formal. You know what I mean? So um, I don't know. I don't even know like after the pandemic if we can travel the first like. Competitive、uh, tournament gonna be because there are so many teams right now, and how it gonna run soon. I can speak a, to a little bit to the history of the competitive scene.、Um, you know, when I first arrived in two thousand eight, there were a few great teams, and then everyone else we kind of sort of have to had to nurture along. At that time, by far the two most Well-known teams were、uh, Big Brother,、uh, which was in Beijing, and Huwa, which is in Shanghai. And these two teams, by the way, still exist and are still very much rivals on the field.、Uh, but then, through these very through these domestic competitions, such as China Nationals uh, and um, and just other tournaments that were hosted in places second and third tier cities like.、Um, Yeah, Tianjin and Nanjing and Ningbo was a big hotspot back then. Wuhan,、uh, the sport、uh, developed solely at first as a competition. Now, ever since COVID, a lot of those competitions, and there used to be more than a dozen in the calendar year,、uh, have gone away. So people are not practicing amongst their clubs as much, and I think that kind of, I think COVID kind of. Open the door for ultimate to become more of this recreational social activity. Also, the、uh, the single gender format was is also a relatively new development.、Uh, I think、um, only happened about five years ago. Before that, it was all coed, but、uh, but that's actually opened the door to a lot of participation, a lot more participation.、Uh, you know, we talked about the social aspect of ultimate、uh, being a. You know, co-ed thing, but but actually, I think a lot more women are now willing to try the sport because they're competing in the single gender division.、Um, and I think I think I think this Hongshu, I think this fad, I think it's gonna, it's I think it's great recruitment for just more bodies.、Uh, and 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 I think we're gonna see some of them stay and and stay and and get you know participate in tournaments when they, whenever they can happen again. But how? Like, look at. United States, they are much 
developed system than China. Do you think we will go through like regionals and then go through nationals, like this kind of format introduced to Frisbee? Well, the only reason the U.S. is able to do uh, uh, is is able to have these uh, different strata of tournaments is because there's so many players, uh, millions, in fact, millions that are registered through USA Ultimate, right? Uh, that's going to take a lot more time. Uh, one thing I did want to mention, uh, you know, every couple years, there's uh, there's something called Worlds that uh, that the World Flying Disc Federation (WIFDF) uh, organizes, and that you know um, happens in different cities. Uh, as recently as um, maybe six years ago, it was only one or two people in charge of putting the China team together uh, to go to these tournaments. And I, I was very lucky to be able to participate in a couple of them. But I think that is getting a little bit more formalized where um, people that we know, people like Marshall and Liang Zhuang, uh, these names that everyone in China Ultimate will know are trying to create an association or be a little bit more structured about how we go through this process of selecting people at, at, to, to represent China, essentially, at the highest level of ultimate in the world. Anthony, you mentioned earlier about China not having those, those, that number of players that you can find in, in the United States and, and Canada and other places. One thing I heard, and I couldn't confirm myself, was that this federal education body had just approved ultimate to be one of the sports that in, in Chinese schools, like that kids are taught. And if that's the case, then that, you know, that could be an interesting pipeline uh, down the road. I mean, you know, a decade or two down, down the road. Definitely. And there are murmurs, there are murmurs, of course, of uh, ultimate being an Olympic show sport in the future. Of course, uh, those of us in the community have been working toward this, lobbying for it for, it feels like, a decade plus. Uh, yeah, obviously, obviously people in China, like the sports bureaus, have heard these murmurings. And so, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if making ultimate a school sport is a direct response to that. But, um, but obviously, if that happens, um, if, it, if there is more momentum toward ultimate becoming an Olympic, going into the Olympic, it's going to explode here. I'm, I'm going to make one prediction. Um, I think the organization of this is going to become quite political um, because there's going to be competing bodies there's going to be, you know, official bodies. There's going to be uh, municipal and, and, and provincial and all this different things. They're all going to have different priorities. We've seen this in other sports, which is why I'm, you know, making this, you know, not particularly insightful prediction. But, you know, I, I think you, you guys have their teams like, like name, the, the, actually, I want to ask, like, why Big Brother? I'll answer that in a sec. But like the fact that the, the teams are still called things like Big Brother, um, not rather than like, you know, the Beijing Dragons or, or something like that. Like, like just even like that, there needs to be some level of, of, of a little bit more formality, which again, runs counter, I think, probably to the sport. But in terms of sport organization, you're going to run into some difficulties of being, well, you guys aren't serious because you, you your names are jokes and, and, and everything and all that sort of stuff, right? So I, I, the, let's start with the growth. That's the main thing. You need the people behind it. But I think, um, I think there's going to be some... some some friction between all the multiple partners. Yeah, Mark, you saw what happened with ice hockey here uh, with rugby, uh, sports that were non-existent in China uh, yeah. 20 years ago, and now are at the level that they are. Yeah, I think I think you, um, I think you're right on with your prediction. Uh, Big Brother uh, in Chinese, Da Ge, is a term of endearment. Uh, it's, it's a team that predates me by a few years. Um, we're talking about uh, real. Beijing Ultimate OGs like Doc and Jim Kirchhoff, et cetera. 
uh, Jason, these guys who, uh, who left China, unfortunately, you know, years and years ago, but, um, what Orwellian, <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Okay. I thought it might be. <laughs> double entendres. I, I will not comment on, but, uh, got it, got it. Just fabulous. Okay. A term, in, uh, term, uh, term of endearment. Let's, uh, let's go with that. Uh, so are we going to see promising young ultimate players be taken to, you know, to Ningbo or, or Shanghai at an early age and going to, you know, ultimate camps for four or five years until, you know, and come out as, you know, come out from a literal ultimate Frisbee factory? Is that, is that what's going to happen? Hey, listen, it doesn't, it doesn't take that long to learn the game. Mark, I know you don't play, but I can teach you beforehand in 10 minutes. I was just thinking about that, actually. My backhand's pretty solid. <laughs> okay, I'm joking. But, uh, but yeah, forehand needs some work. Well, hopefully we can all play again very, very soon. A lot of the games right now in Beijing, even the pickup games, have just sort of ground to a halt. Let's wrap it up. Anthony Tao is an editor at Sup China, and Zoe Tang is, is a co-captain of the Big Brother Ultimate Team right here in Beijing. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Great to talk to you guys. Thank you to Anthony Tao and Zoe Tang. If you have any questions or comments, let us know. We might even answer them on the show. Twitter is probably the best way to reach us. Thank you for listening. We will see you next week. 